What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. I know, Jenna, you just mentioned to me off air that you have a What the Actual Fork moment teed up, ready to go. So I'm handing like it I have right like over. Two. So okay, great. <laughs> um, I have two because I'm just, and neither one of them, actually one like partly has something to do with nutrition, but the other one does not. But it's just so funny. Ever since we interviewed the ladies of Food Heaven, the Food Heaven podcast, I just feel like my like desire for discussion on wellness has like dropped significantly. And like, so now my what the actual fork moments are like not related to what the fuck is happening on TikTok. It's just completely different. That's a beautiful thing. Right? So I have two. So my brother and I talk about this not all the time, but like more often than we should, but there's this episode of girls, the TV show it's season five. It is the panic in central park. And it's this, the episode where if you've watched the show, you know, it where Marnie and Desi have a fight and Marnie leaves their apartment and she's dressed like kind of like grungy, I would call it. And she's walking down like a street that she normally wouldn't walk down. And she sees her ex-boyfriend, Charlie that she hasn't seen in so long. Marnie's now married. Anyways, Charlie and Marnie like have this day together. Like they re-fall in love, even though she's married, she's having problems there. Um, And then she finds out that he's a drug addict and he's like living in like, you know, an abandoned apartment. And like, it's this whole like saga of this like love story that was like so bad in the beginning. And then they like find each other and it seems like they're perfect for each other and they have this best day and it's this high. And then she finds needles and the famous line is like, you know, oh, I'm a diabetic is what he says to her. And every time he says that I fucking ball. And when like the music comes on, like I've watched this episode like 15 times. My brother and I say that it's like, I watch it like once a quarter. But anyway, so I started watching that show. I like that episode again. I started crying and I was like this, like in the age that I am today, 35, this show is about like 18 years. I would say they're what, like 22, 23 in it. About like 23 year old kids, like finding themselves in the city and like going through like all of these life changes, but like watching it now. So of course, like I then watched all of season six because I didn't remember how it ended. And now I'm starting at season 
again. You just inspired me to start girls again. Oh my God. Fucking love it. So I was watching it on the treadmill. I'm training for this half marathon. I'm like watching these episodes. I'm crying. I'm laughing. And it's like, just like, wow. So many themes that, um, I can't think Lena Dunham hit like 15 years ago that are so relevant today. It's just been like such a crazy experience to watch it with like the knowledge and the brain that I have today versus when I was 23 years old. And the wellness like piece to it, like the connection is like the amount. And I know she's super open and she used to be super open about like her body and her body image and all of that. But the amount of diet culture weaved into the conversations in this show is wild. And it's never done in like a, I shouldn't say never, like I don't think it's meant to be like disruptive in that way. It's just like the reality of, you know, the conversations that 23 year olds have. Um, and it's just, it's so interesting. So now you need to go watch it and tell me exactly how like it impacts you because it's obviously made a huge impact on my life. <laughs> my fun fact, which I don't know if you're going to know what I'm going to say. Do you know I'm my nervous. fun fact about Shoshana? No. Okay. So you know how I went on the Drew Barrymore show. Yes. I get to the studio, which is at like CBS headquarters in New York. I'm like, the producer meets me in the waiting room. They're like, who are you? Like, why are you here? The producer comes down, we get in the elevator and they're like, oh, can you hold the door? Like someone else is coming on. We're all masked up. Cause it was like mid COVID talking. We're talking. It's like two producers, me and this other girl, we're talking, talking, talking. And then she gets off. And then the producer goes, do you know who you're just talking to? And I was like, no. And he's like, that was Zoja. He goes, do you, have you ever seen the show girls like Shoshana? And I was like, oh, cool. Like, and I had no idea that I was just talking to Shosh in the elevator. And her segment was right before mine. Cause Drew, she, uh, Drew Barrymore shoots two shows a day, um, live to tape. And so, yeah, Shosh was just like on before me and she didn't what make- she's doing now. She so she was promoting Flight Attendant. I don't know if you watched the show Flight no. Attendant. Oh my god, it's so good. With I forget her name, but the girl from um the blonde. Um shit. You look it up right now. We gotta get the blonde's name. Um from why am I blanking? What's that show? The science it's a comedy people. No, it's kind of like a murder mystery. Oh my god, yes, of course. Kaylee Cuoco. Thank you. So mm-hmm. she's the main character, and Zoja's her best friend in the show. So she was she was promoting flight attendant. Um, oh, there she is. When I yeah. was there. But so anyways, that's my fun fact that I shared an elevator and a conversation with her and uh, had no idea I was talking to Shosh. Otherwise, well, I, I totally know you have a ton of travel. You have a ton of travel coming up. So download season five and six and one for the flight. Like the episodes are 30 minutes. So you'll get through a ton in, on your flights. But like, it's just, I'm, and I want to have, I think that we should make this a series about like what diet culture like comes up in TV, like from our past that we've never really like recognized before, because it's just so interesting. I know Lauren Cadillac is doing a lot of that on social media about like, you know, I think she even posted something about Peter Pan and like there was diet culture in Peter Pan that was like super sneaky and subliminal. And Boy Meets World, she did that one. I saw. Yes, with the diet. Yes, um, Topanga. yes, they were older with Topanga. Um, there's just it's 
everywhere. I did the one um, about Devil Wears Prada. I mean, that one's like super blunt, obvious, and in your face. But like, it's super sneaky. Like, I mean, in one of the comments in Girls, they're at the end when she has her baby and the baby gets weighed. And like, Marnie clearly struggles with her body, like towards the end of the seasons. And like, the Hannah comes back out and she's like, and the doctor said the baby's the perfect weight. And Marnie was like, well, that's the best compliment anyone can ever get. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, why is that a comment that needs to come out? Right? Like, but I feel like but, in the show, like Lena's like weaving that in on purpose. Yes. Right? It's like part like, of the character yes, arc. Correct. 100%. Like it yeah. really shows like who she is and what's important to her. So it's like so fascinating again like with the brain quote unquote that I have today and like the work that we've done um and that we talk about it's like such a different experience to watch it so like that's my first what the actual fork moment everybody go watch girls we'll continue this conversation but then I have to share the funniest conversation my husband and I had last night and like I want to know because you talk about this a lot like the shit that we didn't learn in school I hope you can't hear me right now I'll be mortified but so like last night we're in bed talking and like I've shared before on the podcast that like we're trying to get pregnant, so on and so forth. And we were talking about like the actual like process of like the sperm finding the egg. And he like makes the comment like, you know, I guess it just has to like be that perfect time because like after you pee, like it kills the sperm. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, Excuse me, Matt. What? He's like, yeah, like if it doesn't like find the egg, like it just dies. And like once you pee, like it's over. And I was like, wait, <laughs> I can't even say this without crying. Yo, I was literally like, I felt like we were on a date last night because I was, so, I was, I have left, I have not laughed like that in a very long time. So he's like, I don't remember sex ed, but like how long can a sperm survive in your body? <laughs> I'm like Googling it. Five days, Matt. <laughs> Five Three days. to five days. And so your girl knows like, a lot about contraception and um <laughs> or conceiving over here because of IVF. I can tell you everything. Three to five days. So I was like, I was actually stunned by that. He was like, you just fucking blew my mind. Like I've never known that. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, neither of us clearly paid attention in sex. <laughs> I don't remember learning that either. I only know this because I've spent like half my life savings at a fertility clinic. And then you like learn how much of a miracle it is for someone to get pregnant naturally. Like it's I, insane. I don't understand. <laughs> and for anyone going through infertility right now, like we're holding space for you. Like your girl yeah. understands, but like, I, I do not understand how people get pregnant. It's like, wild. How? It's wild. How? Like, and it makes me think too, because of all the years that like, I didn't ovulate like just because your app says you're ovulating like it doesn't mean it's happening <laughs> like even right. if you're getting a regular period doesn't mean that you're actually dropping an egg which is like also fascinating like all of it is just so so interesting to me let's but just yeah, say that was our what the actual fork moment of the week is pregnancy like how the fuck do people get pregnant like we know what needs to happen but I mean, yeah, I go but down like, like, don't pee guys, because he's like the pee, like the acid. I'm like the acid. <laughs> well, you can let Matt know that fun story time. So Sienna was our first and only frozen embryo transfer. Like we only had to do one transfer to get her. Thank God. Knock on wood for future things. But so 
they put her inside of me, right? They placed her in my uterus. She's this little frozen embryo on a fucking stick, basically. And then they're like, okay, all done. And and they make you fill your bladder because I guess it like rotates your uterus to be like more prominent and like easier to see on the ultrasound. So we're like, okay, you can go pee now. And I'm like, fuck no, I'm not peeing her out. And they're like, it doesn't work that way. You don't like pee out the embryo. And I'm like, I don't trust it. And I was like afraid to go pee because they just placed a very expensive, genetically perfect embryo inside of me. So you can give Matt that little nugget of information. So funny. But to my knowledge, because she's 10 months old now, she's stuck. So you can in fact pee after they even place a fertilized embryo inside of you, ain't going to kill anything. Could you imagine, like, he's in his mid, almost mid-40s, and, like, these conversations were happening. <laughs> oh, I've had, I mean, with IVF, because obviously people don't understand it, like, if you, if you don't have to go through it, like, I thought it was just some, like, weird science experiment that celebrities did. Like, I didn't understand what it was until I went through it. But I've had people ask really fucking weird questions. They're like, well, if you're going through IVF, like, how does the umbilical cord attach? And I'm like, do, um, excuse me, what? Like, do you know what they're putting inside of me? Like, wait, what? Like, so, like, it's just like crazy shit. So, I because I mean, again, like, no one school, learns anything. In school, we're being taught certain things that have nothing to do with like how to live your life successfully. <laughs> I know, like, we should we should create a curriculum of like, if you went to school, what should you learn? It's like taxes. I literally was going to say taxes, like how to get a loan, how to pay a mortgage, debt, credit card, an interview, interview, sex ed, um, just how to like unpack social justice issues in our country. Like how to be a good person. (laughs) Right. Right. How to have human decency and respect for all humans. Um, wild, crazy concepts. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely wild and then let's just add for a perfect segue how to storytell wouldn't it be Ooh. amazing if we could just all be like really good storytellers like how yes. different the world would be and speaking of storytellers our guest today was someone who has been an amazing storyteller for a really really long time so we had dr anita johnson on the podcast um who is a psychologist and eating psychology pioneer and author of eating in the light of the moon how women can transform their relationship with food through myth metaphor and storytelling which has been published in seven languages which is so cool she has been working in the field of eating difficulties and body image distress for over 35 years and is currently the founder and executive clinical director at I Pono, I hope I'm saying that right, which is a, thank you, which is a Hawaii residential eating disorder program in Maui. And she resides in, she said she kind of splits time between Colorado and Hawaii, which is like so freaking cool. She's also the co-creator of the Light of the Moon Cafe, which is an online platform that offers resources, information, and support for women around the world. Dr. Johnston provides virtual individual consultations and conducts workshops globally. She is best known for integrating metaphor and storytelling into her training as a clinical psychologist to explain the complex issues that underlie struggles with eating and body image. You guys are going to love this episode. It's so different from anything that we've 
really done before on the podcast and I can't wait to hear what you think. So Sam, let's get into it. (laughs) All right, Jenna, I coming on to this call with you, I literally just cleaned my entire home, which is all one floor right now. Um, but we are doing a home edition and so you can just see everything. It's an open space. So the kitchen was a mess and the number one thing that really irked me this morning was that we had a pan sitting there with a bunch of egg gunk in it. Now, let me make this very clear that I love green pan. I love their pans. And this was not a green pan pan. This was honestly, I don't even know what it was somehow. Not important. (laughs) Doesn't matter. All that's important is that it had egg gunk in it. And everybody knows that egg gunk is the worst gunk in a pan when it like sticks and you have to like shovel it out you like need so to get like a razor to take it off like it doesn't come off and then i think it just with makes, a bad pan yes makes the pan <laughs> even worse so i don't know where not to throw shade to luke my husband but i don't know where the green pan pans were hiding this morning that he used an old pan but i just came to say that now all the pans are clean the kitchen is clean and the green pan pans will be used tomorrow morning so we don't have gunky pans there's literally nothing worse than an egg gunk pan I actually um recycled tossed got rid of all of my non-green pan pans after switching over for that exact reason because one would like magically I show need to up. get rid of them yes one would magically show up on my stove and I'm like uh-uh <laughs> like put this away <laughs> but anyways by now hopefully you're all hearing how much we love our green pan pans and it is because they are gunkless and they are amazing and it is 2023 and we all deserve gunkless amazing pans by green pan. So if you would like to join us, head over to greenpan.us and use promo code fork. You'll receive 30% off your entire order plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right. That's 30% off. Whether you buy one pan or a whole set, that's 30% off. So head on over to greenpan.us and make sure to use promo code fork and also let us know what you think. All right. Well, Dr. Anita Johnson, we're so excited to have you here today. And a little fun fact that I don't think you would know. There's no way you would know this unless you went and looked it up. I have been on your email list since since March 4th of 2018. I have received emails from you. I looked it up before we got on today. I took one of your e-courses years ago when I was still very deeply rooted in diet culture. So I just want to say thank you for your work because it's been so cool to follow along. It's nice to hear that. Wow. Yeah. I'm super excited. So for our listeners, they know that we always start out with the same question and our podcast is called what the actual fork podcast. So we're going to bring it right on in and we would love to hear from you What has been a recent moment for you? Maybe an article you've seen, news that is broke, something that's happened to you in real life, something related to diet culture that stopped you in your tracks and said, what the actual fork is going on right now? Hey, well, it wasn't that recent, but it really did strike me. Um, it was a conversation I was having with a friend of mine, and we grew up together. We were best friends from the time we were 13. And I, I we got together a little while ago, and I remember asking her, 
if she remembered our our mother's dieting because I was wondering why didn't I get an eating disorder because <laughs> I have the right personality for it and I I started to think well gosh nobody dieted when I was growing up now this was a long time ago uh, on the island of Guam in the 50s and 60s. And so I thought I was maybe just making that up in my head. So I asked my friend, I said, do you remember? She goes, no, nobody was dieting then. So I think that's that's why, that's the bullet that I dodged. But it was really kind of shocking to me, given how pervasive diet culture is today, to, to just kind of look at that contrast. Because I don't think there's many people around who could say, I don't know of anyone who ever dieted when I was growing up. <laughs> it's so interesting that you say that because I had a conversation. My mom and I had the opportunity to go away a couple weeks ago or months ago now, my goodness. Um, and we were talking about specifically my dad and how he was raised in a family that had like a lot of sneaky diet culture. Um, and for example, like my Nana, again, love her, rest, God rest her, rest in peace. Um, but she used to serve him, um, like cantaloupe with just cottage cheese as his meal and like, that became ingrained in him as like a habit. And he was telling me about how like he was sent to like before school, like activity is what they called it as a measure to like promote or to add more exercise to his life. Like at seven, like back, my dad just turned 67. So like back in, I don't know, what would that make that the seventies? Like, so to hear the difference in 10 years of what you're describing and to America in the seventies is just it's crazy. Like how did that happen? <laughs> and actually it happened pretty fast. When you look at the whole stretch of history, this thing, this thing came on like a freight train. And now of course, you know, we all see the insanity of it and it's, it's really tragic actually. Mm. I I often wonder what life would look like if none, like if dieting didn't exist and I, I can't even imagine, like yeah. it's so hard to imagine it without it being there. Um, but what a beautiful life it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't mind telling our listeners, Zanita, just tell them about yourself. How did you get into this work? Cause you've been doing this work for a really long time. Did you grow up knowing that you wanted to fight diet culture? Probably <laughs> not. So how did, how did you fall into this personally, professionally? Yeah, well, actually I did grow up knowing that I was interested in women's issues. Um, and, and so again, because I grew up in, in a, in mixed, um, ethnic culture, uh, much of which was indigenous Chamorro on the island of Guam. And in that culture, that was a matrilineal culture uh, until uh, the Spaniards came and they said, no, we don't like this. And then the Americans came and outlawed it. Right. But prior to that, so I was raised with very strong women and a matrilineal culture. And I just started noticing how things were different for women in different cultures. So that's what really got my attention initially. And then the whole, the way the whole eating thing came in was many, many years later after I was a, a psychologist and I was supervising a psychology intern who was doing her doctoral dissertation on the incidence of eating disorders in Hawaii. 
that's when I started to see like, whoa, this is such a pervasive struggle. Uh, we, we created a center after saying after about five, five times, we said, gosh, people are struggling with this. There should be a, a center for help. And, you know, after about the fifth time, we looked at each other and we laughed and we went, okay. So this was in 1982. So this was a long time ago, but it was girls and women, mostly no guys were showing up then, but with, with struggles um, with eating and body image, but they came, they were like all sizes, all shapes, all colors, all ethnicities, but all struggling in this way. And so that's, that got my curiosity going. I was very curious about, wow, what is going on here? Why is it, first of all, back then, why was it just females? Second, why these particular girls and women? And why was the struggle around their bodies and eating and food? So that kind of launched me. Mm, And how, I would love to hear your your perspective of how has diet culture changed over the years? Like what, what, when, when you asked all those questions of why Mm. do you find that the same core issue is still there? It's just the messaging has changed or just what have you seen throughout your time? Cause you've, you've, you've been so awake to this problem for such a long time. I think just now people are starting to recognize the dieting is a problem. It's intuitive mm-hmm. eating is growing. Anti-diet mm-hmm. culture is growing. So what have you noticed over the years? What patterns? Well, for sure, it's become more pervasive and more intense. So I raised two daughters and I watched what was going on for them and and just noticing how, again, comparing to, to the way I grew up, there were a few magazines around. Um, you know, we saw movies once in a while, <laughs> the only TV we had was, it was one channel. It was black and white. Nobody watched it. You know, of course there was no internet. And so I, I was aware of how with my daughters, they were being blasted with images that I had not had to um, cope with. And, and I, and I remember creating this term in my mind. I thought, Oh my gosh, my daughters need to learn omiteracy right? They have to learn how to block images that are just, you know, coming at them. And so that was, you know, that was many years ago in the nineties. And now it's even more insane. And so, you know, I, I just, I, I do believe it's totally possible though, to maintain your own bearing in the midst of it all. But it's quite the task. It's a kind of David and Goliath kind of struggle when you're, when you're in a culture that is so the the bigger problem is so darn literal. And so people, you know, identities are so caught up in their physicality. And then when you have that, that pressure for that to look a certain way, it's, it's pretty enormous. And I happen to think the shift is going to come as we start to cultivate sense of self that is not based on physical appearance. 
So those are things that Sam and I talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. but would love to hear from your perspective, like how do our listeners do that in a world where every time you look at any type of media, you're blasted with, I actually saw one of our friends posted the other day, like how is Jenny Craig still running commercials? (laughs) But like, (laughs) like that's still happening. Right. And then you couple that with everything else that's going on um, in every media outlet. Like you drive, I was driving on one of the main highways in my town and like there's signs already for like summer is coming you know weight loss everything um so what are some tips that you would share with your unique perspective and method that you use um to really cultivate that change well i think it helps to understand what makes us vulnerable to those messages in the first place because and and this is what i believe is at the root of Eating disorders, disordered eating, uh, body image distress is a disconnect from your authentic self. So, and and in fact, that's what I see recovery is, is when that connection to your authentic self is, is, is strengthened, then you're less vulnerable to this nonsense. But the reality is we're all vulnerable to one degree or another, right? This isn't like a perfect thing. But one of the things that you can do um, is have... Be be ready. So so it's going to hit you. Um, I I have these retreats that I used to do in Hawaii with Carolyn Costin and Francie White, and we would train professionals to work with eating disorders and negative body image. And I remember many of the people, I'd say about half of the participants, had their own recovery experience, and then they got degrees and wanted to work in the field. And I remember this one woman said. You know, I worked for a long time to clear my eating disorder, and I finally did. And then I started working on body image, and now there's aging. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's never going to end, okay? And So our society is also very attached to the physical appearance looking youthful, uh, and that you're supposed to have, you know, at 50, you're supposed to have the same body you had when you were 20. It's like, wait, what? So... To understand, first off, we all have to deal with this um, living in the world today. So you might as well be ready because it's going to hit you. And it's designed to um, uh, hit you in a way that's almost like disarming. Billions of dollars are being spent to learn how to get into your psyche, to get you to feel bad about the way you look. So you'll spend money on this product or this procedure or this activity or whatever. So you begin with that. Know that we're all vulnerable. And then, and then you, you get, you get prepared for it. So I'll give you an example of how that works because what has to happen is you have to have a dialogue with yourself while you're getting hit by these messages. So I was going on a trip. In fact, I was going to go speak on negative body image, right, in the conference. And at, and I was at the um, store getting my, you know, my little toothpastes and my little shampoos and that sort of thing. And as I was going through the checkout line, out of the corner of my eye, what caught my attention was this woman in a bikini with a beautiful airbrushed belly, right? It caught me. And this is how fast it happens. The thought landed in my head. Oh, I wish I had a body like that, right? It's it's designed to do that, and it's so fast. But I was ready for it. I knew I needed to have a dialogue. So 
Um, as soon as I had that thought, I brought up another thought that said, well, Anita, you know, a long, long time ago, you had a body mm, kind of sort of like that. And how did you like your body back then? Oh, I didn't like it at all. My boobs were too flat. My butt was too big. My blah, 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 blah. But this, this thought doesn't, doesn't quit. And so the other thought was, yeah, but I'd really appreciate that body if I had it now. So I have to be ready. And again, we all have different things that work for us, but this is what works for me. So then I bring up this other thought that says, well, you carried and birthed two amazing daughters. Would you trade that in for a belly like that? And it's like, well, no, of course not. But it doesn't stop, right? It doesn't stop. So then the thought pops up. Oh, but think of all the cool clothes I could wear if I had a body like that. So now I'm, I'm, I'm just like, okay, let's just bring in the big guns. And the next thought it would be, Anita, how would your 90-year-old self like the body you have now? Ooh, she'd like it very much. So that's this process, right? Now, this takes, this is, this takes place just in my mind and I'm at the counter and, um, to get my stuff and I see that this magazine that it, caught my eye was the back page of sports illustrated swimwear edition and i went oh my god you were just had but i uh, only for a matter of minutes right because i was ready i understand and this is what cultural literacy is you you really understand who's behind this all what's their motive and and then you have a dialogue um so that you're not taken over by it so that's an example of, of what someone can do. Talk to yourself. Seriously. Thank you for sharing that. And I think what a beautiful way that you got vulnerable with us and shared like your professional who has been doing this for 35 plus years, right? Oh, yeah. And we're all human. Yeah. And we have these thoughts too. Like it's just because we're professionals doesn't mean that we're not inundated with diet culture and these things mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have so many clients that think when they're having conversations with themselves like that and challenging those beliefs and those thoughts, they're like, I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. You're no. a human. Yeah. And it's really good to talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I highly recommend it uh, because that's the only way you have to talk back essentially to these messages that that you're being bombarded with and 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 especially if you're tired or in a bad mood you're even more vulnerable or sick oh that's the time when i'm under the weather i i know that i'm i'm most vulnerable to that kind of negative influence mm. so ready <laughs> yes so we know that you're quite the storyteller and I've, from some of your uh, continuing education, I took years and years ago, you're such a beautiful storyteller and you use metaphor and story to really help integrate these concepts for your clients and for people who are struggling with their relationship with food and body. So can you speak on a little bit about what, what are non-physical hungers, how to understand them and just how you use story in, in your practice and when helping support people? Well, I, I use story because um, story uses the language of metaphor. And when you're trying to talk about something that's non-physical, that's non-visible, how do we do it? Well, we do it through metaphor. We say, well, it's kind of like this or, or, or we, we get, we can get images that speak to us 
Um, and if a, I mean, it's, it's, it's way more than what words can do. So for example, if, uh, when Romeo says Juliet is the sun, we know he's not saying she's like a flaming ball of hydrogen, right? And we know if you made a list of all the qualities of Juliet and all the qualities of the sun, it's not going to get you to what Romeo is saying. But if you can use metaphor, you get it. Oh, she lights up his world. Now that tells you everything you need to know. I mean, you can actually feel that experience. And so using metaphor allows us to do that because um, we've been, I said, we've been blasted by messages. So this is one way to kind of scoot around those messages and um, present a picture in someone's mind's eye that's worth way more than a thousand words. So that's why I use story. That's why I use metaphor. And I have to say my, I'll share my very favorite one because it's my favorite because I still get emails from people all over the world that say, this one metaphor helped me shift my entire understanding of my struggle with eating and my body. So here it is. We always begin with your imagination, right? Because you're creating images, imagination, images in, in your mind's eye. And um, it's your superpower. Uh, if you, if a lot of people say, well, I don't have a good imagination. And I like to say, what do you think worry is? Worry is a bad use of a really good imagination. And that, and we all do it by the way. So, but you imagine, you imagine you're on the banks of a raging river. It's pouring down rain. You slip, you fall in, you're drowning. You're getting pulled down through the rapids and along comes a big log and you grab on. And the log saves your life. It, it, it keeps you from getting pulled down and, and drowning. And eventually it carries you to a place in the river where the water's calm. And from there you can see the riverbanks, but you can't get there because you're holding on to this big log. So the irony is the very thing that just saved your life is now getting in the way of you going where you want to go in life. And to make it more complicated, there's always somebody on the riverbank yelling, let go of the log, let go of the log. And you feel like an absolute idiot because you can't let go of the log. Well, the way I see it is letting go of that log may not be the very best thing to do initially. Because what happens if you let go of that log, start to swim to shore, get halfway there and realize, oh, shoot, you don't have the strength to make it. And that means you don't have the strength to make it back to the log either. And you're really sunk. So. I believe we have a wise part of ourselves that will not, will not let us let go of anything until we're good and ready. So what do you do instead? Well, you try floating. And when you start to sink, you grab back onto that log. And then maybe you let go and you practice treading water. And when you get tired, you grab back on that log. And then you let go and you swim around at once. Grab back on twice. Grab back on 10 times, 100 times, 200 times. Whatever it takes for you to have the strength and confidence to let go of the log um, and swim to shore because you basically put the log out of a job. And so I, I use this metaphor to help people understand that the struggle serves a function, a very important function, and it would behoove you to find out what that function is so that you can develop the skill set to do what it does. And so you don't have to be using um, negative body image thoughts or eating behaviors 
um, as a way of coping. I love that so much. And I can picture like all of the things, like, I feel like metaphors hit like your subconscious mind, which paints that picture and is not processing the same way as your conscious mind is, right? And not defended. I'm not talking about, I didn't talk about eating disorder or bodies for a minute there. So I'm at a log in a river. So um, it's, it, you're able to really kind of get in there and then you get to this feeling state where somebody you know, it's like, I, you could say, well, I, I, I got so much paperwork, or you could say I'm drowning in paperwork, right? It's a totally different feeling state. It reminds me of the post that you actually made most recently about shifting your focus from the destination to the journey itself. Mm-hmm. And I think like that phrase, I mean, I've used that with clients before as mm-hmm. well, but the way that you've just described it again, using pictures and thoughts um, and a whole scenario just makes it so much more clear about how much you can learn in mm-hmm. the journey versus like where you're going, which I personally find in practice is really hard to talk to people who are prospective clients about starting this journey. Cause yeah. it's like, I know where I want to take you, but it yeah. takes a really long time. And if you're only focused on that destination, you miss out on all the opportunity in between. And that's the conditioning from diet mentality, right? Mm. Who's X number of pounds in X number of weeks? You know, so you can, it's like, it's all that focus is, is, is on, on that. And again, I mean, that's why they don't work. I mean, we know this from all the research because you bypass all the important stuff, which is why are you doing whatever it is you're doing with food in the first place? Um, and, and that there's a reason and that there's a good reason why you're doing it, but you need to find out what that is um, because in a way it's talking to you and you're not getting the message. So you're going to have to just keep doing it. It's like the phone's going to keep ringing until you answer it. Mm, I love it so much. And, and like Jenna said, I, as you were talking, you can like close your eyes and picture the riverbank and the log. And it just, like you said, you weren't even talking about food or body image while you're sharing that story, but it has such a profound impact. I would love to hear from you. Are there any other, because that you said that was like your favorite one, you still get emails on it. Are there any other, whether they're metaphor stories and or analogies that you feel like you use often in session, or maybe one that you used recently that is coming up for you that was really powerful and impactful that you think listeners might like to hear as well? So there's a story that I find really helpful as far as like shifting, because it's really hard to shift these negative body image thoughts because you're, you're dealing with a paradox, like with eating disorders, you know, it's about food and it's not about food at the same time with negative body image. It's about the body, but it's also not about the body at the same time. So what is the not about the body stuff? And so there's a story that I like to use that really for me, brings the point home. It's an old healing story. And the story was there was once this king that was on a hunting expedition and had been gone for quite some time, um, but it was very successful. So the hunting party comes galloping into the courtyard and they're greeted as they always have been by the king's most loyal subject, um, best friend, um, closest companion, the dog that he had raised from the time she was a puppy. But something strange happened. As the dog approached the hunting party, it started snarling and barking and spinning around and running away. 
And then it would come back and snarl and bark and spin around and run away. And the king said, oh, my gosh, I've been gone so long. My dog's gone mad. So he starts chasing after the dog through the corridors of the castle. And the dog stops abruptly at the entrance to the nursery of the king's firstborn. And again, spins around, snarls and barks. And to his horror, the king saw the dog's muzzle was covered with blood. And when he stepped into the nursery, he saw the walls were splattered with blood. And across the way was his infant child's cradle overturned, enraged at the betrayal of his best friend, his most loyal companion. He pulled out his sword and he plunged it into the dog's heart. Immediately, he heard a cry across the room. And there, beneath the carcass of a dead wolf, was his infant child totally unharmed now this is a horrible story this story is like ugh. if it were a movie i wouldn't even go see it but the violence is not gratuitous it's for a reason because let me break down this healing story because all of these stories like our dreams the the characters are symbolic of different aspects of ourselves So we immediately identify with the king because all of us have been in that position where we did something or said something that was irreversible and tragic. It's like, oh, my God, why did I say that? Or I wish I'd kept my mouth shut. We've all been in a position where we've just gone, ah, if only, if only I had pushed the pause button and waited just a moment, I could have averted this, this horrible thing, right? We've all been there. So so the, the king represents that aspect of ourselves that is rushing to judgment and doing something cruel, mean. Who does the dog represent? The dog is our body. It's our most loyal companion, our best friend. Um, we'll stay by our side from the day we're born until the day we die. So who's the real culprit in this story? The wolf, right? What does the wolf represent? Well, the, the, the real corporate is the inner critic that hangs with a whole bunch of media wolves to be sure they can run in a pack and just, and, and that preys on the most precious part of ourselves, the most unique part of our being. I call it our soul self, our true self. And so what, this is what happens with negative body image. Because something bad happens and immediately you feel bad and you blame your body. Why? Because it's the first thing you might notice. Or you're in a bad mood. You walk past a a window uh, in a store and you see your reflection and boom. Well, wait a minute. Why was your body not so horrible 10 minutes ago? So to start to see that it's really the thoughts about the body that have been hijacked by the inner critic that have been affected by a, a, a culture and a media that it, that endorses that kind of criticism. So the story tells us that we have to learn to push the pause button. Whenever we have a negative thought about our body, push the pause button before you attack your body, because the way we attack our body with those thoughts is brutal. No, no less brutal than what happened to this dog in the story. So pushing the pause button to see what's really the cause of your emotional distress. And chances are you'll discover it's really not the body. Wow, that was such a beautiful story. At first, I thought it was very Game of Thronesy, and then I got scared. <laughs> And then the way that you just pulled that together is like, wow. 
Mm-hmm. Like I see it, I picture it. The wolf is dying. Feel it, culture. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it feels like when you attack your body. It's like plunging a sword into your own heart. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. is. And, is and when really it's just the messenger. It's just trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us, Anita. Um, the one thing I do want to say about, you know, the images of the log in the river is your log is different from my log, right? Just like your, your, someone's recovery is different from another person. You get to own it. It's, it's really yours. And so that's the other reason I like to, to use metaphor. So, okay. So what are some of the ones I use? There's certain ones I use over and over again. Um, one is the, the, the metaphor of tank A and tank B. And um, the idea is helping people understand that we have all different kinds of hungers. and But because we're limited by our language. So for example, the Inuits in Alaska, they have a gazillion words for snow. We have snow, we have sleet, we don't have many. And the indigenous people in the tropics, they have tons of words for rain. We have rain, right? And so, so it is with the word hunger. And what, and that's why it can be so confusing for people is that we think of physical hunger without this recognition of how many different kinds of hungers there are. And so it's no wonder we might try to feed them with food. So I, I, the metaphor I like to use is imagine two tanks. I'm going to call them something fancy like tank A and tank B. <laughs> and tank A is the tank you fill when you need physical nourishment. You fill it with food. Tank B is the tank you feel when you need non-physical nourishment, when you need emotional or spiritual nourishment, and you fill it with things like attention or affection or acknowledgement or meditation or prayer and so on. But most of us, we think there's just one tank. So before we know it, tank A is full and overflowing but we're still hungry or we're afraid to put anything into tank a because it seems like the bottomless pit and it'll never end. So what has to happen is you have to tease the two tanks apart um, because no amount of food will ever fill tank B. So the way you do that is through interoceptive awareness. I mean, this is what people are learning to do uh, with intuitive eating. It's it's reading those signals from inside yourself. Um, so so interoceptive uh, awareness is like when you say, oh, my head is pounding or my heart is racing or my stomach is growling, right? It's like you're getting the signal from, it's an internal sensation that you're able to recognize what the message is. And the cool research that's just come out is pretty amazing that shows the greater your interoceptive awareness, the higher your self-esteem. And the lower your interoceptive awareness, the lower your self-esteem. So it's important. This is an important part of the process. But for the sake of, of um, working with metaphor, let's say that you've already, you, you, you know how to do that. You've identified your hunger and satiety signals. You know, you know when you're eating in response to them and when you're not. So imagine that you're reaching for pizza and you've checked in because you know to do this. No hunger. You're not hungry at all. Hmm. But you still want to eat that pizza. Well, guess what? That means you've tumbled down Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole and you've landed smack dab in tank B. And in tank B, pizza is not pizza. Food isn't food. What is it? 
It's a concrete physical symbol of another kind of hunger that you probably don't even know about because it's unconscious. It's out of your awareness. And so what happens when a lot of times when feelings start to come into awareness, we first experience them as sensations in the body, but it hasn't really registered. And we all know that. That's like when we have that kind of, ooh, that kind of restless feeling. Some people like to call it boredom, but it's really something a little more. There's feelings that are trying to come into awareness. So the question to ask yourself is, what's the feeling I'm trying not to feel? Because it's not our emotions that are the problem. It's our attempt to not feel the emotions that's the problem uh, because they're scary or overwhelming or uncomfortable or whatever. So you ask yourself, okay, what's the feeling I'm trying not to feel? And you kind of do a scan of your day. Like, okay, am I still annoyed at that person who cut me off on the freeway? Or am I worried about this upcoming parent-teacher meeting? Or am I annoyed something my coworker said? Um, Or do I have some concerns about something my boss is doing? Whatever. You look for a feeling that you're trying not to feel. But more often than not, the answer is going to be, "Mm, I don't know, I feel fine, (laughs) right? Because it's unconscious, it's out of your awareness. So here's the cool thing. The food will tell you. The food itself, if you don't go into judging yourself, uh, if you don't go into diet mentality, if you summon every smidgen of curiosity you can to see what the foods might be saying to you at a very deep level. And so you have to crack the code because they're talking to you in metaphor. So, for example, sweet foods usually have to do with either feeling like there's not enough sweetness in your life or you're not sweet enough. And now think about that word sweet, right? And the way we use it, we might say, oh, God, that's so sweet. Or what a sweetheart. Or, whoa, that's sweet. Or I'm looking for the sweet spot, right? We use that word metaphorically already. That's already in your psyche. And and so it's it's coded in there and it's telling you something about your particular hungers. Crunchy, salty foods, usually connected to unexpressed anger and frustration. Think about just like, you want to, you know, bite something down or you're growing your teeth and, and, and cause it's not being expressed. And so, um, you can look to see, okay, where in your life are you feeling angry or frustrated and not expressing it? Warm foods are often connected with a longing for emotional warmth, spicy foods. And again, this is either a fear of, or a craving for excitement, stimulation, and change. And from chocolate, we know this from Valentine's Day, right? Love and romance and sensuality and sexuality. So you can look at the foods themselves. And um, by the way, if any of your listeners, they don't have to write all this down. They can get a, a PDF from me if they just go to lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash W-T-A-F. <laughs> and you'll, you'll get this all written down. So you don't have to be scribbling this down. Um, so, so you can start to see, though, how the foods really, um, it, it's kind of a, it seems kind of weird, but it really does work in, in a way that's um, metaphoric, not physical. And do you find, because this is definitely a different conversation than we've ever had on here before. Totally. <laughs> are you, 
Are you insinuating that every time you choose those foods or when you're choosing these foods after you've ruled out physical hunger, right? Because we fill up our cup, right? We eat our meals, Mm -hmm. we eat our snacks, we nourish our body, we get our fuel. Is it when you're reaching for these types of foods when you've ruled out physical hunger and now you're trying to fill that tank B? Right. Or you're, you're either you're craving and you're not hungry, or maybe, um, you are hungry and you don't want to eat because you think you shouldn't be eating. So it's, and, and the hard part is getting away from the good foods and bad foods idea because it's just information for you, um, that's trying to come into your awareness. I love that you brought that point up because I knew that was not your intention at all when you're saying, oh, if you're craving crunchy, you know, you're that's bad. You're angry. Not at all. Right. And not only that, if you are angry, that's not bad either. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We we watch a lot of Miss Rachel in this house now. And she says that all the time. It's okay to be mad. (laughs) It's okay to have emotions. (laughs) Right. I think about every time I've like cried, I think I cried. I forget what podcast I was with you. And I started crying and I was like, (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for my emotions. I grew up with that mentality of like, everything has to be okay. Everything's fine. Everything's happy. Like don't show your emotions. So Mm -hmm. that's been a learning lesson for me. I love, I love the metaphor speak too, though, because I really, again, I think it helps people like, I'm just thinking I have a two-year-old and I'm thinking just to all of like the shows and animations and things on TV where they're, this is how children learn. Like the movie we, I've tried to make him watch the other day that he had no interest in yet, but in, was it Inside Out or the one, the newer Disney movie that's about the emotions? Mm -hmm. Um, And the other one was Inside Out. So there's two of them. Um, And like, that's how kids learn, right? Like, when did we stop like learning through like play and imagination and imagery? I just feel like if we would teach even intuitive eating and nutrition messaging this way, like it would hit home so much more. Yeah, because you're you're really combating messages that have already they're already in there they're in uh, and they're mostly in the left side of our brain it's the right side of your brain that can um, has access to kind of like new concepts but we live in a culture where the the left side rules Mm -hmm. and it's um, um, super critical Um, and there's nothing wrong with critical faculties. I mean, you know, you're writing a paper, you want to make sure there's no dangling participles or, or misspelled words, but it should never be used to determine your worth. That's like, it's, it's not in its lane. And with negative body image, that's where things can really, um, get out of control. And the only way Sometimes the only way I know how to speak to that is through metaphor and through story. Do you find too that like a lot of this work that you're specifically doing through the storytelling and metaphor, et cetera, is really helping to heal an inner child, like inner child wounds as a non-psychologist? I don't know the correct way to say that, but I do know that a lot of eating experiences and body image stress and traumas come from the childhood years. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, like we kind of just connected that really talking in this way and helping with those feelings and emotions Mm -hmm. kind of brings you back to childhood learning. Do you find that that's like a a bridge that has helped really with that healing process? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think a lot of um, healing with the inner child. But it's interesting how, for me, uh, inner child has become just such a mainstream concept. And nobody's talking about the inner parents. Who's parenting that child? So a lot of my work is about cultivating a strong inner mother and a strong inner father um, that that can provide um, a more authentic uh, way of dealing with emotions, uh, mothering energy. And again, this is not gender related. This is not uh, about the biological mother that raised you or birthed you. Um, but mothering energy is um, nurture and soothing, right? And we're hardwired for that. Uh, think about your first experience uh, on the planet being in distress. What are you given? the breast or the bottle, right? And you go, so it's no wonder that this kind of gets confused. We reach for comfort food um, because we're we're hardwired for that. It's only a problem when that's the only way you know how to be comforted, right? You, when, when you don't have a strong enough inner mother that can help you soothe and also function as an antenna to find other mothering sources. You can get mothering from your dog. You can get mothering from your husband. You can get mothering from a coworker. You can get mothering from mother nature. There's a reason we don't say father nature because we know at a deep level we can be soothed and comforted by nature. So it's an energy um, that, that once you learn how to work with it really does heal the inner child. I love how you just put that all together because I think so much with therapy and, and mental health, we, we often ask, you know, what did that inner child need, right? That they didn't get. And then we get that answer mm-hmm. and then we look around like, okay, now what? What? Yeah. <laughs> so to yeah. be able to say, wait, I have the ability to create this reality of these inner voices okay. that I need and like you said, it's not about the biological parent in this sense of, but how can I get this mothering energy through my husband, friends, colleagues, nature, experiences around me? What a beautiful, beautiful, powerful tool. Yeah. And from yourself, I mean, we spend a whole week doing this at the Light of the Moon Cafe because I think it's such an important uh, aspect. And it's the same with fathering. Fathering energy is um, safety and security. So, you know, what are what are the skills that are required? Well, boundary setting and and discernment. And, you know, these are qualities you can cultivate within yourself. And I call it the inner father just to give it an image. But of course, it's just a, a particular energetic constellation. This is such an amazing conversation. Jen, I'm going to hand it over to you in case you have a a closing question. No, I was just going to say this is incredible. And I know so many of our listeners are going to be not surprised. It's not the right word, but maybe like relieved or excited that like we've brought in this new concept of learning today. Um, And I know a lot of them will want to learn more from you. So I was just curious if you could share who exactly you help or serve and, you know, where they can reach and find you. So I work um, with my online courses. They're, they're for women or anyone that identifies as, as, as a woman And um, I have interactive courses where, for example, for 
eight weeks, they'll get an activity every day, which is sometimes a story, sometimes a metaphor, sometimes it's a drawing or writing activity, sometimes it's a song to listen to, or a poem. And then we have a forum and we have women all over the world that communicate on this forum. And I'm there, (laughs) I'm communicating uh, with everybody and answering questions and giving support. And we have live calls. So that's the interactive. And then I have some self-study courses on um, one is on cracking the hunger code, how to how to kind of do uh, more of what I talked about today. And so light of the moon dot com is the best place to find me. I'm, I'm always there at the cafe. <laughs> love that name so much. Me too. I love that you pull in like the food aspect, like a cafe. Like I just am even now thinking about the image that comes into my head for a cafe. And it's like warm and soothing and, and nurturing. I can't help myself. There's always got to be a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Anita. It's a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for more fun.